Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in again. This is uh, Bitcoin Roundtable, and it's episode 41. This is uh, Vince on the line here. Unfortunately, Darren had to step away, but I am here with our producer, Libby. And we would like to welcome Jack Abu to the podcast. He is from the Habu Network. Jack Abu, can you please... Thank you. Thank you for coming on today. Could you please tell us a little bit about the network? Sure. So, uh, Sikhivi is quite an old company. Um, We're based in, in Norway. We set it up 10 years back. We started as a location-based news aggregator. We had a fair amount of success working with companies like uh, Mozilla, Telenor, Telefonica, Alcatel, Panasonic, CTE, and a few other ones. We did work with Mozilla on the Firefox OS initiative that, as you might recall, it was targeting low-end smartphones in emerging countries. Okay. So they needed somebody to provide them with news content and that somebody was us. Unfortunately, the, the Mozilla project uh, did not take off as, as we were all expecting. But what happened was that uh, from that from that work we did together with them, we were exposed to a lot of the companies that we're working with, like uh, Panasonic, Alcatel, Telefonica. And in a, in a parallel work stream, these different companies, they wanted to get hold of content. They wanted to build value-added services on top of their existing products. So they wanted to work with us. Then we opened up our API to them. Although Mozilla Initiative died, um, we found ourselves working as a proxy for content. We ended up giving service to 50, 60 million users a day. And um, we spent a few years working as a proxy for content. That was a pretty valuable experience for us because we got to learn a lot about the pain points of both content creators and content distributors. Right. And approximately two years ago, we started looking at blockchain as an infrastructural piece of software that could help us to solve some of those problems. I was introduced to somebody who was working at Telenor at that time who had been advising the, the management team at Telenor. Telenor, by the way, is a very large telco here in Europe. They provide service to uh, over 100 million users in Southeast Asia as well. Okay. And this gentleman uh, was advising the management at uh, Telenor uh, how to make use of blockchain technologies. So uh, we were working with Telenor at that time. So between him and myself, we, we put together a strategy and we did an ICO last year to build a decentralized content marketplace. And um, we finished on September the 7th. In October and November, we started working on the content marketplace and very soon we realized that uh, although we knew about that before we realized that the scaling was going to be an issue because keep in mind we're an existing business with existing customers right and we provide service to millions of users so we had to pause all work on the content marketplace and right. we focus exclusively on scaling as of mm-hmm. january this year and well pretty much from there the project has evolved into an ethereum scaling protocol which we deployed three months ago to Props and Testnet, and we will be deploying to Mainnet at the end of this month. Hmm. Okay. All right. I, I was doing a little bit of uh, research on Habu Network, and I heard that you had a bit of a bump from uh, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. Could you just talk a little bit about that? Of course. So um, I think it was five days before the ICO went live, we were approached by some individuals on LinkedIn who claimed that they had been reading through the white paper and they felt that uh, it was solid and good quality and, and they wanted to know if we would like some kind of promotion. So keep in mind that uh, for somebody who 
who comes from the corporate world and have been very quickly exposed to the crazy world of ICOs. <laughs> we immediately realized that it comes down to how much noise you can make. So anyway, we were exposed to, to his team and his team was quite keen on working with us and we felt that it could be a decent relationship for just a few days and we went ahead and we did it. For sure, I'll bet it was. Now, did you find you got a lot of awareness with having Floyd Mayweather behind it? Floyd Mayweather really tweeted once about us, right? Right. Or twice, I think, he did. Um, and it is difficult to say. It's difficult to say if we got a lot of help or not. Um, keep in mind that we were not targeting the... the um, I mean, we were targeting corporates that really comprehended the problems we were trying to fix. Right. And, of course, with Floyd Mayweather's tweets, the only thing we were going to be able to do was get in front of as many people as possible. We were hoping that those people would then go and read about the, about the white paper that took us a couple of good solid months to put together. Right. And uh, they would be able at least to comprehend our hypothesis was solid. Right, right. Now, as far as the network and smart contracts for sports goes, that's something that kind of interests me. And I tried to do quite a bit of research on it. And I'm still a little foggy on how I can use the Habu network for smart contracts for sports. Give me the, and our listeners out there, basically the Holes Notes version of how that would work. Right. So I think it's important to, to note that the, that the work around Hubi network has been paused from a content distribution point of view. Um, so when we finished the, the ICO, we, we went, I personally went to Thailand to, to spend some time working together with Mark. And um, we met with, with some companies that were claiming that uh, we're fixing, we're working on, on fixing this, the, the scaling issues of the Ethereum blockchain. Okay. As I mentioned before, we provide service to millions of users every day, and uh, we just knew that the Ethereum network would not scale to it. So um, we agreed that we were going to be using Plasma, and we announced it. So, you know, a couple of, just a few, a few weeks later, we immediately realized that Plasma was not going to be available with us anytime soon. And therefore, we had to pause any work we were doing around, around content around the, the, the content marketplace. Uh, so since January this year, the only work we have, or most of the work we have been doing, has been around uh, around the scaling protocol that we have built. So I can tell you if you want how, you know, how we were, uh, what were some of the problems that we were intending to yeah, fix. Yeah, please do. From, from our own previous experience, right? So the way we have been operating is we have been crawling content based on some specific agreements we have had with publications. We have repackaged it and then we provide it to somebody else that will distribute it further and will we'll monetize it one way or another and then we'll share money with us and then we will share the money with the content owners. There is a multi-tier step and there are some silos where, for example, we don't have visibility over to how many people they're distributing the content, right? Okay. Uh, often. Yeah. Um, and how many people will be will be consuming it? Equally, once the data has been given to us, which is by all means through a trusted process, mm-hmm. we need to give that back to the content owners, and the content owners will go the same way. Like, okay, you know, I, I gave you all this content, and, and you're giving me this money, but uh, you know, uh, this is, for example, from, from two months ago, right? So how can we do it in a way that it is as transparent as, as possible? 
Yes. So this was kind of the most obvious use case that we wanted to fix, right? And the way it would have been done is just simply put by by uh, tokenizing content, providing it to the content distributors, and making sure that for every time the content is being accessed, then we will have visibility over that, and then that visibility will be reported to the content owner. And furthermore, um, based on the basic rules of the, the contract that we have today, like for example, if I give you the content, you might pay, let's just say, one euro or one dollar for every thousand articles you distribute. Then as soon as those metrics are being honored, then the payment would automatically happen. Okay, all right. So that was the most basic use case that's, that we needed to implement because as mentioned, we had been working like that for five years, <laughs> or four and a half years, and we knew how painful it was. Yes. And, and what is even more interesting is that the last six months we have had some other companies that are doing what we were doing at a much larger scale sure. to us and saying, hey, can you actually help us to fix this problem? <laughs> oh, okay. So so you found that you had other competition in the marketplace, but they weren't as advanced or didn't know how to work out the bugs, so they came to you for help. Yeah. So I believe the rationale behind is that, um, as I'm sure you will you will be aware of, you know, Flipboard, you know, became the, the de facto uh, aggregator in the U.S. a few years ago. Right? So yeah. Here in Europe, we have had other initiatives. I know in the U.S. you have had some other ones like Pulse, which was then, I believe, acquired by LinkedIn. So if you're on LinkedIn, which I'm sure you will be, all the, all the updates that you get through news is because of the $25 million acquisition they did. So oh. you do have a lot of news aggregators that 10 years ago, they flourished and some of them became quite, quite prominent. But then it became a commoditized technology. But then soon, some of the companies that maybe they were not into the content space, but they did have rather large businesses uh, that one way or another, business models were kind of dying, like for example, telcos or OEMs, uh, phone manufacturers, like the guys making this phone, they they just, you know, the net profit is bad under $1 per device. Sure. So even if you sell 100 million devices, you get very little cash, right? Yes. But at the same time, you still have access to 100 million users every year. Right. Big, powerful thing. So uh, so these guys, they wanted to add extra services on top of those uh, either devices or services that they were building, and that they were offering. And and content, as, they, as it goes, content is king. So content will keep people engaged. Yes. So uh, a lot of companies that started as aggregators, they might have evolved as we did and become a proxy for content. And those are some of the companies that have come to us, correct? Right, right. I see. Okay. Well, that's, that's very interesting. Now, I saw that it can work for podcasts. And of course, us having a podcast, uh, I'm trying to dig a little more into that. We take a podcast, we put it on our networks, people listen to it. You know, Tell me a little bit about that. Right. So that is part of the uh, thing that we talked about that on the white paper yes. that we did the, the ICO for. But, uh, but then as mentioned, we, we have paused most of the work around content just to focus on the scaling protocol, which is what is taking 99% of our time. Now, um, the, the, the monetization of content, I, I don't think that it is a surprise to anybody that, that it is a problem. Right. So uh, either podcasts or videos or news. News is probably the biggest one, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, in videos or around video, you can still apply some other, some other solutions. Right. Uh, but for podcasts, the, the idea was, was pretty much the same, just uh, being able to, to, 
you offer a micropayment solution to whoever would like to consume your content. Ah, okay. Put it, you put it just, just wrapping it up into, into a smart contract. Um, we could easily do that. We could have done that on chain, right? Mm-hmm. But as I'm sure you're aware, uh, if you have hundreds of thousands of people fighting for 15 transactions per second, <laughs> that was not going to go very well. Right, right. Uh, so, I mean, today, I think we still get well over one and a half or two million API calls on the old infrastructure we have of Hubie. Okay. So, as you can imagine, you know, that wouldn't just work. Right. And again, that is why we have paused that work and uh, we have instead built a, uh, this scaling protocol. And as soon as it's deployed to mainnet, then yes, we can get on with building uh, many other things on top of it. Right. So you, so basically it's going to filter down to even crowdfunding, I heard as well. Right. So in terms of crowdfunding, we have, uh, we have done some work. We did some work around around the film industry. Oh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. We started looking at at uh, some of the existing business processes that can definitely be enhanced by either adding a level of trustlessness or by finding new ways to to fund them and right. also to spread the wealth. And um, I personally didn't know much about the about the movie industry, but uh, our our commercial lead had been doing some work in the past, and he's very enthusiastic about it. So we did spend for a few months speaking with a producer in the UK about how did the current process work. Right. And we immediately realized that we could clearly tokenize a movie. We could uh, make the funding of the movie a general element where people could participate and could actually get something in return for it. Plus, at the same time, have a vote, oh. a voice. Okay. And, um, so we currently have a pipeline of about 20, 22 movies uh, to, to take through a crowdfunding process. But we have not taken any of those yet live to the market. Main reason is because, as you very well know, we are in a pretty, in a pretty bad bear market. So uh, right. it wouldn't work but right now. Right, right. Our uh, our producer Libby, she used to be in the uh, film industry, so I think she'd find a lot of that very interesting. So we started with Bitcoin, and um, you know, wanting to talk about cryptocurrencies and just getting the basics out there to get people interested. We've had done a lot of fantastic interviews, and I really find that the Hibu Network is very interesting because it relates to what an awful lot of people do: crowdfunding, podcasts, the up and comers right now what what would you like to tell us about your network that perhaps people out there don't know or that you might find it could help them so i could answer that question from two different perspectives please one of them is is, uh, what will human network be in the near future yes and uh and the work that we're doing today right because as as mentioned before maybe i was a little bit naive because keep in mind i i do not have a wealth of experience in the blockchain slash right. the currency industry. I'm just a, an engineer with 20 odd years of experience. Yep. Yes, I've been able to work in multiple different industries. And yes, I knew about Bitcoin and, and I knew about blockchain yep. from the distance. I have never been into it. Right. right. So that is why when we heard about all these companies doing the scaling solutions, we felt that it was going to be straightforward to knock at the door of one of them. Right. use their technology so we could actually build a network. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so little I knew. 
so naive I was. And, uh, and then is when we had to park and put aside the Huey Network content marketplace for a while and focus instead about building and scaling protocol. Right. So, so the first part of the answer that I will say is that uh, what we want to do uh, with Huey Network is just to provide a content marketplace where we can fix some of the most obvious problems around content monetization. Right. right. So, and content is quite close to our hearts because of the work we have been doing for the last many years. Mm-hmm. We do know how badly paid journalists can get. Right. We understand what are the side effects of having to leave off a ad base revenue model. Right. Um, and we know that never before has been so many content creators in the world, but yet they're getting paid so bad. Yes. Like, for example, you as well, I'm sure. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a million of us out there right now. Unfortunately. Yes. Unfortunately, that's yeah. correct. Um, and, and the problem is that content, uh, you know, we have never been consuming as much content as, as this in our entire life. So right. you have some basic metrics. You have in China, the average user might spend 72 minutes per day on their mobile phone. Right. That's because in China, the commuting can be very long, right? Yes. From work and back to work. Mm-hmm. And, and that is just also a period of time when we educate ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to have best possible quality content out there. So we can educate ourselves the best possible way. Right. right. You know, we live in a period of time where whatever question you have might be only one, <laughs> one, one query away. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. It's, we were. Uh, we, yeah. We often talk about that because you can find the answer to anything you want to know. Very interesting. So we would like to make sure that 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 human network provides that building block for content creators to to have access to the biggest possible audience and get paid as much as possible. That is what we really want. Hey, sounds great to me. Of yeah. yeah. Of course, we need the, the, the I mean, and don't get me wrong, um, we are aware of the complexities of such a platform because this is what, what is called a two-sided network. So you will always have the chicken and the egg problem. Right? Yes. But from a very humble point of view, we feel that we are qualified to do it because we already have got some size of those networks. So we have right. access to a large distribution network and we also have some content creators publishing content through us. Right. Like today, we have sent up three more content creators, three large newspapers in Myanmar. Ah. We provide service to 12, 13 million users. Okay. The other side of the question, or the answer that I need to provide you is, yes. of course, with with regards to the uh, scaling protocol that we have built. Right. And, um, you know, no scaling, no joy. That is, <laughs> <laughs> is what it comes down to. True enough. It doesn't really matter how, how beautiful that platform is yeah. and how many problems it can fix and how much money it can get you. Yeah. If your users still have to wait and do 15 transactions per second, you know that as well as I. Yeah. They will not buy content there. Right. So. So what we have done is really built an Ethereum scaling protocol that it is commercially focused. When you want to scale a blockchain, then, then you need to make compromises. Mm-hmm. And um, the compromise we have made is that we have built what is called a second layer solution. Mm-hmm. So we still use Ethereum blockchain as a bastion for security okay. and decentralization. Yes. Um, we have done, I think, might very well be one of the largest, if not the largest, 
uh, deployment, the smart contract deployment ever done with 70 odd smart contracts. And there were two key problems we wanted to fix. One of them was the number of transactions per second, of course. And the second was the fees, the predictability of of costs of those transactions. Right. Right. Uh, Because again, if if I want to go and buy that podcast from you or, mm-hmm. or subscribe to it, I would like to yeah, I would like to make sure that the underlying uh, infrastructure is going to charge me five dollars, right? The yes. The day because yeah. somebody wants to buy CryptoKitties, and unfortunately, the CryptoKitties clogged the entire blockchain, and that two dollar piece of audio is going to cost me five dollar transaction or one half dollar transaction. So right. It doesn't make sense. So we have fixed that. We have fixed that. And uh, as mentioned, we deployed it three months ago to the Robson testnet, and we will be deploying it to mainnet at the end of this month. Wow. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, Jacobo, we don't like to take up too much of your time, and we really appreciate you coming on to our podcast and telling us about the Habu Network. Is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with if they're interested, what process they need to take? Well, um, do you... Do you know if some of your listeners are technical people, hands-on developers and so forth? Yes and no. We just want to introduce crypto and in particular Bitcoin to the user that knows nothing about it, sort of just trying to welcome more people to the the crypto world. Understood, understood. Well, uh, all I would like to say to your listeners is that you know they should feel free to join our Telegram. We have a very, very humble one with about 1,400 people. We do have some some, some solid guys there asking really good questions. Right. It's, it's a good place to for a Q&A session, right? And we are pretty open. Also, they could follow us on Medium. We, okay. We're actually being quite active right now. So we're somehow coming out of stealth mode, right? Yes. So, so we have been coding for nine months and so and now <laughs> it's, it's time to take the product out to the market. See, yeah. Um, and also, we have built some interfaces uh, targeting developers for so it's very easy for them to get up to speed with the with the protocol that we have built. Right, right. Dynamic, which is the protocol. So yeah, this is this is this is really it. So um, happy to help, happy to answer any questions they might have. Oh well, fantastic, fantastic. Well, Jacobu, I'd love to thank you for your time today. There's a lot of points that interest me. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Okay, take care. Bye bye. Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin.